Hey everyone, welcome back to the Here in Apologetics. Pumped you're joining us today. I have Josh Yen, and we're going to be looking at Matt Dillahunty's video on the argument from contingency. Uh, Josh, what's up, man? I'm doing good Premier Leagues back this weekend, so I'm all pumped, hyped and pumped for it. <laughs> but Pulisic got hurt last night trying to carry the Americans. Um, yeah, well, that's that was good. But, yeah. <laughs> hopefully so. nothing's bad this weekend, but hopefully everyone's <laughs> back in full fitness. We will see how it goes. We will see how it goes. I'm tired because for some reason I stayed up to like 1 a.m. watching that game last night. Um, but regardless, we're going to be looking at this video um, on the argument from Digicy from Matt Dillahunty. Josh, do you have anything you want to add before we get into this? When you told me to do the argument from contingency, I was very looking forward to it. Because normally when I focus on cosmological arguments, I'm focused more on the Kalam cosmological side of things. And I barely touch this kind of contingency thing. But, but it was actually quite a coincidental thing kind of coming up. Because I've, if you guys know, I've, I've been doing my college essays recently. And they told me to write an essay supplement or a writing supplement. And I was like, well, now I need to write an essay. What can I do it on? And I was like, well, I'm doing a video with Zach soon. So let me do on the contingency argument. So well. <laughs> Everything kind of worked out. It's all in the hands of God, I guess. Everything lined up really well. And, well, here I am after I've written an essay on the contingency argument. So that was pretty decent. Can you imagine being like a college admissions person and just like reading these essays about like <laughs> dogs and COVID and it's like, oh, the contingency argument. And it's like <laughs> definitely like a change of pace. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll um, see how that goes. So yeah, so I do want to say at the outset, Matt, you're awesome. It's actually a really good video, and he blazed out the argument pretty well. Um, but we'll get into this. If you're ready to go, Josh? Yep, always ready to go. Alrighty, let's do it. It's a kind of long video, so I don't know how long today's recording is going to be, but we will see. Um, so let's just dive right in. And this raises a point that I've wanted to cover for quite a while, and that is sometimes someone will email and say, what do you think about the teleological argument or the ontological argument, the cosmological argument? And in reality, there's no such thing as the argument for a given category. We categorize the arguments for the existence of God based on what they're talking about. And so there's a category of teleological arguments, which there could be many of. There could be a new teleological argument tomorrow, probably only mildly, subtly different from the classical versions that we're aware of. There could be a new version of the moral argument. There are several versions of ontological arguments, even taking some of the classic ones and redoing them with modal logic. And there are several cosmological arguments, whether it's the Kalam cosmological argument or first cause versions, and the subject of today's video, the argument from contingency. I just wanted to pause here because I was like, as I was listening to this, I was like, kudos to Matt for kind of like um, really understanding that like, yeah, there's different kinds of these different arguments. Um, and it's the same with contingency like anything else. So, yeah. I completely agree with you. And I think Matt does a very good job in kind of laying out the formula or the structure of these arguments. There's always the big argument, the cosmological argument, but then within each of them, there are so many different interesting arguments themselves, like the Kalam and the contingency. Both are cosmological arguments, but they're just so, so different. So it's just a great way to represent all these arguments here. Yes, sir. So before we get started on an actual presentation of that argument, what do we mean by contingency? So when philosophers talk about things that are contingent, which we'll need to understand for this argument from contingency, all they mean is that there's something about the nature of this item, that its very existence is contingent upon something else. It doesn't have an explanation that is internal to itself, but it has a reason for being which comes from outside of that individual item. The, the contingency is contrasted with uh, necessity. Necessary items are ones which don't have an external explanation for their existence. They just exist necessarily. There is something about their very nature such that 
they had to exist. There's no possibility or, or that they couldn't have existed. Whereas contingent things could have at least hypothetically not existed. One prime example is you. Your existence is contingent upon the existence of your parents, the existence of their method of procreation, and it continues a chain backwards. Your parents' existence is contingent upon their parents, et cetera. So do you have anything you want to add here, Josh, with like Matt's like framing of contingency? Nothing really. I mean, there's a lot of different ways people have formulated contingency in the past, though I think that this is perhaps the most simple understanding of the concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, some people will be like, well, it's, you know, if everything's like deterministic or something, well, then here we go, there might be a problem. But yeah, I mean, this is a good kind of like basic layout. And I think like arguments based, based on like dependency with regards to contingency are probably like the simplest way forward, at least for like um, this kind of context. So, yeah. If we were to find something that had a necessary existence, we could contrast this much more easily. The problem is it's very hard to clearly identify something that has a necessary existence that is in fact a thing, a thing that we can point to, uh, like a brick or a piece of wood or this seat. These, these things are all contingent on other things. And this connection of finding things in the universe that are contingent and expanding this to say that the universe is contingent is something we'll talk about when we get to the formal structure of the argument. One so Matt's just kind of like laying out groundwork and stuff with regards to this video. Um, but do you have anything you add at this point, Josh? I think this is just a very, very interesting topic that he raises. Like, well, how exactly do we know what is uh, contingent, what is necessary? We kind of have this idea that things are either going to be necessary or either going to be contingent. There's a really fine line drawn between kind of what is contingent and what is necessary, which we would be elaborating later on in the video, but it's just something to keep in mind. For example, a chair is contingent. My wallet is contingent. We know that there's something within the wallet which makes intuitive or quite obvious that this is a contingent thing. And then we turn to something like maths, like one plus one equals two. It's quite a necessary kind of concept or it's something which is quite necessary. And, and we kind of have an intuition to say, well, that is kind of necessary. But of course that raises the question, well, what exactly is the thing which makes us to have that intuition that something is quite obviously contingent or what is not. We'll develop that later on in the video when he talks about it a bit more, but I think that that's just a very interesting question to start raising in our minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I think Matt does a good job of bringing up this point to wonder like, what is the relevant difference between like contingent things and necessary things? Um, Cause you know, if I told you like this pen is, or your wallet or this pen is the necessary thing, you'd be like, well, no, of course not. That, that, there's no way. And it's like, well, why is that? And is it like, is it because it looks designed or I'm going to say it's because it has like these, these limits and it's like, there's explanations for like why it's the shape it is and why it's the weight it is and things like that. Um, so Matt does a really good job and that's something to really think about. Like, um, it's like, what is the relevant difference between the contingent and the necessary? So, yeah. Takes a moment to pull up the video every time. So there's this awkward pause. One of the issues with the argument from contingency is that we don't really see a clear definition of what type of contingency we're talking about within the argument. This is perhaps intentional, it's perhaps a bait and switch, a little equivocation, but it's important to realize that when we talk about things which are contingent, there's really two versions of contingency we're talking about. The first is causal. Your parents reproduced, this resulted in you, your existence is causally contingent upon their existence and their method of reproduction. The other version of contingency is sustaining contingency. And that is something like the heat and energy that we get from the sun, the, the light that is encompassing me right now coming from the sun. It is contingent upon the sun, but it is contingent in a sustaining sense, which is if the sun goes away, this light goes away. Whereas if your parents go away, you don't necessarily go away. 
So when we talk about contingency, we, we're talking about the reason for something existing, but we also need to consider, is this a causal contingency in that this is the cause and this is the effect, or is this a sustaining contingency as if you were pouring water out of a jug, uh, that this, the existence of water flowing from that jug is contingent upon the jug being there and continuing to pour out water. That's not always clear when the argument from contingency is presented. Okay, lots of great points again, Josh. Um, do you have anything you want to add here? Because lots of good stuff. Yeah. I think the first kind of idea that we can raise is that there's, I think when he says, well, there are a lot of different forms of contingency used in these arguments. I think he raises a very interesting point because I'll completely agree with him that there are a lot of different forms of different contingencies. However, I would not necessarily say that it is perhaps the intentional equivocation. I wouldn't go so far. Rather, I would say that as he's admitted previously that there are very, there's a wide, there's a plethora of different contingency arguments, or there's a plethora of different cosmological arguments. For example, the Kalam argument is mainly focused on um, a, a more causal contingency instead of a sustaining argument, whereas the contingency argument raised by Ed Fesser is mainly more towards a sustaining contingency rather than a causal contingency. So instead of saying that there are perhaps equivocations, I would just like to make note that perhaps these are just different arguments that we have to, uh, uh, like, um, view or examine independently. Mm. Yeah, I think that's good. The only thing I'd add is like, at least my favorite version is like kind of like the one that like Bruce has and like the Blackwell Companion. Um, Cause I think it's just the simplest one. Um, and it's like every contingent fact has an explanation. There's a contingent fact that includes all other contingent facts. So this is like summing together like me, you, everything that could have been other different. Um, therefore there'd be an explanation of this fact which involves a necessary fact. Um, and we'd say this necessary fact is God. But like, yeah, there is different kinds. And like, at least for me, causal to like contingency arguments just make more sense. <laughs> but that's mostly just because of my ignorance of like Thomistic metaphysics and whatnot, because I have just not paid a lot of attention to that. Personally, I would agree with you in the sense that I think that causal contingency is perhaps more modest because back in those days, there was some, there was a guy called Malenbrank or something like that, who believed in a more sustaining kind of sense of contingency. And, and personally, I don't necessarily think that that is the best way to go around contingency because it kind of has further theistic implications or theological implications, which I think are perhaps a bit more questionable. However, I personally also have a favorite or like an interesting kind of form of the cosmological mm -hmm. or contingency argument, which kind of goes along the lines, which is quite similar to the Proust's one, which is like the premise one is there is a contingent fact that require well, that which is contingent requires a further explanation or an external cause. Premise two, which is the universe is the unity of all contingent facts. Then uh, premise three is the universe is contingent. Then the conclusion is the universe requires a necessary foundation. That foundation is God. Though I would say that the only difference, perhaps the main difference here is that I premise two, of course, is the universe is viewed as the unity of all contingent facts instead of the contingent fact that includes all contingent facts. The only reason why I had that change is because I was just thinking about set theory because there's, and I might be going off on a tangent here, but there's, you know, the Russell's paradox kind of thing where it says the set which contains itself is a bit of a paradoxical set. I was just thinking about, well, well, could there be a contingent fact that contains all other contingent facts, but then wouldn't there be some situation? Well, how, why, how would we know that that contingent fact isn't part of itself? Or there's some sense of paradoxicality here unless there's some arbitrary distinction between the two, which I perhaps might be quite difficult to grant, but that's perhaps just beyond the point of this discussion. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I think probably the biggest like questions, even like with the premise three, the universe is contingent, um, which is probably like the objection that Matt's about to levy right here. Um, so it's a good time to go and think about this.
So let's take a look at one version, or two versions actually, of the argument from contingency. So one classical version of the argument from contingency goes like this. One, everything that exists contingently has a reason for its existence. Two, the universe exists contingently. Three, the universe has a reason for its existence. Four, if the universe has a reason for its existence, then that reason is God. And five, therefore God exists. Now, I would imagine some of the responses out there, there are people who accept the argument from contingency who are theists of some stripe and say, yep, that's one of the versions. Sounds just fine to me. What could you possibly be objecting to? And there are probably many non-believers out there and people who've looked at this sort of thing before who might be screaming and ready to pull out their hair about how, why, how can they say that? What's the justification for this claim? And it may have come at different times. One of the things about the argument from contingency that distinguishes it from other cosmological arguments like the Kalam cosmological argument or for various versions of first cause arguments and there are similarities. There are elements of a first cause argument in here. But the claim is often that the argument from contingency would apply if, in fact, the universe was infinite. That's not entirely true in my estimation. Yes, by talking about the nature and saying that if the universe is contingent, it could perhaps be infinite or eternal, and yet it is contingent upon the existence of a god or the sustaining influence of a god that might have, might have existed forever. And so it might apply to the cosmos. But generally, when we talk about contingent things, we are also talking about something that had a beginning. Uh, the idea of an eternal thing that is also contingent upon something is not only counterintuitive, it may be obviously false. It may be that there's a contradiction there of having both the thing that is contingent and the thing that it is contingent on uh, having no beginning. It would seem intuitive that if something is contingent, it had a beginning. As a matter of fact, a lot of versions of arguments from contingency rely on this idea that the universe, in fact, did have a beginning. And we may be talking about different things when we're talking about universe, because we managed to get the universe label uh, as a label for everything. But our understanding of the universe has changed the way this label is used, such that with the idea of a multiverse, with the idea of alternate dimensions, even though we can't confirm these things, what we mean by universe is typically our local space-time reality that we can explore, that we inhabit. And the word cosmos is used to talk about everything. The cosmos would include a multiverse, whether one exists or not. Oh, whoops. The cosmos would include alternate realities, alternate universes. No matter what the actual reality of the model is, the cosmos encompasses all of that. And is the cosmos actually contingent? Is the universe contingent? Is it contingent on the cosmos? But let's take a look at the premises and the arguments, what this argument actually says, and see if we can find some points where we perhaps disagree. Okay, so lots of great points here made by Matt. Um, so what, do you want to start, Josh? I think the first thing we could perhaps talk about is just that I think that the cos cosmos versus universe distinction is kind of irrelevant for the results of the argument because I think yeah. that, yeah, you could call it, call it a universe, you could call it a cosmos, but it really just depends on the person you're talking to and kind of where you agree your terms on at the, at the beginning of the argument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think I totally agree with you. Because at least when I'm thinking about, like, um, well, I guess Matt might be saying, well, like, what if there's a cosmos that creates different universes? But then it's like, okay, well, is the cosmos is your necessary, like, foundation or being your fact, whatever, and just trying to figure out, what, like, what that is. So I, I don't really find that distinction super relevant. Um, so, yeah. I completely agree with you on that one, because I think that you could say, well, maybe the cos cosmos is creating other universe, but then if you define perhaps the universe or whatever that fundamentally grounded, if you want to go with the Proust argument as the big conjunctive contingent fact, or as the, the that which like includes all of the other contingent facts, 
then well you get the idea that well maybe that that big contingent fat would just include all of the other universes or whatever you call those other cosmoses or whatever then then you're still left with the same fundamental argument which still works at the end of the day mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay um so do you want to talk just like a little bit about like the idea of like the infinite universe objection which may be like mm-hmm. or maybe i don't know if you have anything you want to add here with like that kind of being like blocking the contingency argument well, I think the infinite universe is a very interesting objection. I do think that an infinite universe might have to change the form of uh, causation or the form of contingency to some sense of sustaining contingency. Personally, I haven't thought too much about it, but perhaps that that is where um, Matt might be able to draw some question questions into suggest, well, maybe if it is eternal, then you can't necessarily have um, a cause in front of it. You would just say it's some form of sustaining Kind of understanding, though I don't necessarily think that that would completely defeat the contingency argument because evidently if you define the universe or if you define contingency as that which uh, has that which requires the external kind of cause or an external kind of explanation, then you could you could easily see a contingent universe which is external, which requires um, a further explanation. Furthermore, I, I don't necessarily agree with his ideas of saying something which is infinite has to be contingent because well, if you look at the laws of nature, they're quite clearly contingent, or at least they're quite clearly not necessary. You could think of a, another possible world where the laws of nature are completely different, even if the universe was uh, eternal. So I think if that's the case, you could you could kind of come to the conclusion that, well, even if something is infinite, it doesn't follow that it must be, uh, it must be necessary. There are situations where there are things which can possibly be uh, infinite or eternal, but at the same time can or most likely are indeed uh, contingent as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to think about, like, if you'd have to switch from dependent to sustaining argument for, like, a past infinite universe. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not necessarily convinced that you do. I know, that, like, a lot of philosophers, like, will defend their contingency argument saying that, like, yeah, this still works even if the universe is, like, past infinite. Um, but I do think that, like, if you're going to say, that, like, let's say, like, the whole cosmos is necessary, you're going to have a high price tag, potentially. Um, especially if you're going to say there's no, conti- like, everything's deterministic. Like, that's going to be super complex. Um and if there is some contingency, well, then we can still kind of run a contingency argument. Um, so I don't know. I feel like it, like the syntax of this kind of clip made it a little confusing. Um, but I'll just digress because like there's a common claim where it's like if you like the Hume idea, where if you um, explain the thing before this universe with another thing, and you know like an infinite chain going backwards, like that answers the contingency argument. Um, and Alex Bruce has a really good like little like blurb on this in the Lackwell Companion that I'll just read. Um, it's just a paragraph. So he says, at noon, a cannonball is not in no- motion, and then it starts to fly. The cannonball flies a long way, landing at 12.01 p.m. Thus, the cannonball is in flight between noon and 12.01, in both cases, not inclusive. Not inclusive. Let P be the proposition reporting the state of the can- cannonball, and at time T, let P be the conjunction of time over the range and i'm butchering this stuff so i very much apologize um and i now claim that p has not been explained unless we say that the whole flight of the cannonball for example being cited by citing a cannon being fired this seems clear if hume is right and there is it is possible for causeless things to happen then it would then it could be that there is no cause of the whole flight but that is just the case where p has not been explained to claim that there was no flight of the cannonball but we have explained the flight anyways we sophistry so it seems like just basically what Bruce is saying, like, is if we say it's just like this infinite causal chain going backwards, it's kind of like the cannonball is just always flying. And then we're left with this question of like, well, why is it flying in the first place? Like, it seems like there'd have to be some sort of further explanation, unless you want to say the whole flight is necessary. And then there, you know, there might be a little price tag there. I think that's a very interesting way to look at it. And I think it definitely works in kind of understanding this contingency argument or this contingent kind of the nature of contingency a bit further. I think that's very interesting.
Mm -hmm. We did have a super chat. Um, so I'll interrupt for just a second here from writer John Buck. So thank you so much. He says, um, isn't saying the laws of nature are contingent, assuming that conceivability entails possibility? Well, I think that it really depends on how we are to define conceivability. I think that conceivability in most situations would entail a possibility, although there are areas where you might say you can conceive of a square circle, but then you can say, well, am I actually conceiving it or am I just saying the name of it? And and of course, those are perhaps one of the borderline areas, though I do think, especially when it comes to laws of nature, it's quite, I think it's quite reasonable to think that there could be a possible world which which the gravi the gravitational constant of the universe is maybe a bit off, or maybe the the, the sky is red because the refractory kind of the, the rays of light or the wavelengths interact in a different way. And now you could say the explanations of these kind of contingent laws of nature are then dependent or explained by the nature of the universe, how it was created in the first place. And I think that there's definitely ways to uh, look at it in this way, but I think that just by being able to think of not only the laws of nature, but thinking them in, in context of an uh, actual world or thinking of them as a complete world, which is possible, but not in the world that we live in right now, makes it seem that our our abling or our ability to conceive of such a thing entails that is definitely possible, especially when it comes to the laws of nature. Yeah, I mean, I think like it can, ugh, conceivability doesn't entail possibility, but I think it's a good guide to it. Obviously, like um, there's things like I can conceive of God not existing, but I'm not going to say it's possible that exists, but it's a good guide. Um, in general. So yeah, mm -hmm. let's keep on going. Got to pull this up. It begins with the idea that everything that exists contingently has a reason for its existence. And this is true, or I'm convinced that it's true, but this is also true for non-contingent things, for necessary things. You could just as easily say everything that exists has a reason for its existence. And then you would be drawing a distinction between things which are contingent, where the reason for its existence is external to the thing you're discussing, and things that are necessary, their reason is internal. It is part of their makeup. They, they require no external uh, support or generation. They are necessary things. They still have a reason. The reason is just that they're necessary. They exist because they exist. And that, that puts some people off when you start speaking in those terms. But to me, when you say everything that exists contingently has a reason for its existence, okay, fine. That's a tautology. And I think it would also be true of things that were non-contingent. It's just the reason is very different. Okay. Um, any thoughts here, Josh? I think um, he is generally right. I think, as I've said before, I think there are different forms of PSR from including the one based on explanation to the one based on causal object. There's just a lot of different forms of PSR and there's not much we can kind of discuss here, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I just say like, it's a cool build, a bridge building point because you know, like we can be atheists and theists and agree that like, yeah, there's a PSR and it applies to things. Um, so yeah, let's get into this next bit. One day if my computer decides to load. The premise, too, is that the universe exists contingently. And here's where we get into this discussion about what do we mean by universe? Do we mean our local space-time reality that we inhabit, you know, the thing that is 14 and a half billion years old that we can, you know, see the edges of, uh, you know, see the microwave background radiation, um, that we have a suspicion about how it began. We have Big Bang cosmology, even though there are competing models. This isn't about declaring what version is correct. This is about saying, is the universe contingent? Well, it may be the case that the universe is contingent, but I don't see a demonstration that it is. It may also be the case that if we're talking about the cosmos, the, the larger everything that our universe exists within or as part of, that the cosmos, in fact, is not contingent, that the cosmos is a necessary uh, thing. We'll get to that in a little bit. The third. Okay. Um, before we get into the third thing, what do you think, Josh? Because he, he's kind of bringing up this idea of like the cosmos being potentially necessary again. 
I think it is a very interesting kind of discussion. And I think, first of all, we have to say, well, what exactly does Matt mean when he says demonstrate the universe is uh, contingent? Because that, of course, goes back to our previous discussion about the epistemology surrounding contingency. How exactly do we know that something is um, contingent apart from just saying, well, it, it's quite obvious that this thing is contingent. And I think that one of the ways I could build on it or we could build on it is kind of like physical or natural things are most likely contingent. And of course, I think this could be developed to be more precise in uh, the argument from limits, which Zach knows way more than I do. But essentially physical, it's like kind of things like physical things like chairs, people, basically anything physical are quite clearly contingent, whereas things which are non-physical like math, logical space are mainly necessary. So as a result, the like um, the universe being a physical thing is most likely to be contingent. And furthermore, the universe could be otherwise. And of course, you might say I'm kind of equivocating or mixing up the idea of something being possible and something being contingent. Though I think that there's some there's some connection between something being possible and something being contingent, which we can perhaps discuss somewhere else. But I think that there's just generally quite clearly uh, a bit of uh, a similarity over there. And finally, it just it doesn't seem logically impossible that the universe has different laws. It doesn't seem impossible that the universe could have been otherwise, in the same sense that it seems impossible for one plus one to equal to three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I it's interesting because like Matt always throws around the word demonstration, and I don't always know what he means. Um, like of course we can't demonstrate the universe is contingent, like our models of the big bang break down. Um, but I mean, it still doesn't stop us from like trying to understand things, and then. So he brings up the cosmos, and I've been thinking, like, I just don't even know what he means by the cosmos. Like, he's going to say, like, the foundation, like, but, you know, that's kind of, like, just, like, a tautology. Um, so I'm, it's, like, all of whatever the foundation is. I, I just don't really know what he means by the cosmos. Um, so that's a little tricky to think about. But then, like, so, like, thinking about the limits thing. Um, so, like, we obviously know that, like, you and I and Matt and dogs and trees are contingent. And why is that? Well, they have certain features, like, they're... Um, maybe alive or they weigh a certain amount of weight or um, things like that. And it's, and then I wonder about the cosmos and it's like, well, what is it? One, what does that mean? But it's like, let's just say it's like some sort of like matter energy or like a quantum field or something. And it's like, well, it seems like we're going to still have these limits um, where things seems like things could have been otherwise, but they're this way. And that's just kind of like the brute fact of the foundation. And it's like, okay, well, I guess we just stop there. Like if atheism is true, like it just doesn't seem like, it seems like there's further explanations still. Um, we can go further. So I just don't really see, it seems like we can go further. That's just why I don't really think the cosmos would be necessary. Um, but obviously Matt would have to define it because if we just say the cosmos is that, which is the foundation, well then like, sure, I can agree. And I'm going to say that is God. Um, so, you know, it's just tricky. Yeah. So. I completely agree with that. I think that the argument from limits is definitely fascinating. And just before we move on, I perhaps could say a bit about uh, the writer, what writer John Buck says with the, I, ha I more have in mind that, that I can conceive of a world without God. And I think that mm -hmm. conceiving of a world without God in it is something very interesting. And, and I think, though I do definitely think that a world without God is kind of something which kind of similar to a question of what happens before time. It's one of those things which apparently seems to work like something conceptually, kind of like, um, just saying, well, I could conceive of the sky being red, whereas in reality, it's more of something like a square circle, but just hidden under more normal or more common terminology. Because if we think about the contingency argument, let's assume that the contingency argument works, well, then you can clearly demonstrate that, well, there is no world which could possibly exist without a necessary foundation behind it. And, there, and there's also other ways which these things can be formulated such that, well, maybe the idea of conceiving a world without God in it is not as intuitively possible as it just seems at face value. And that's something we can think about perhaps on the side. Mm -hmm.
yeah, that's great. Um, let's get into this next bit. A third is that the universe has a reason for its existence. Um, I've already acknowledged from point one that I think that that's going to be true, whether it is contingent or necessary. And then on number four, we get to this, if the universe has a reason for its existence, then that reason is God. How did we get here? Now, the truth of the matter is that in philosophical circles and apologetic circles, when you're talking about perhaps this version of the argument from contingency, the argument doesn't exist merely on its own. There are a number of justifications. This argument itself is contingent upon these explanations for why they can claim that the universe, if it has a reason for its existence, that reason is God. But that's not contained in the argument, and it's not here for us to address, and I'm not convinced that that's actually the case. And that means that the conclusion they end up reaching, that God exists, is as questionable as this premise that the explanation of the reason for a contingent universe is a God. But this conclusion just assumes already a sustaining version of contingency. So if we were to concede that all of the points so far are correct, that the everything that it is contingent has a reason for its existence, the universe is contingent, therefore the universe has a reason for its existence. If the universe has a reason for its existence, this reason must be God. This con final conclusion that God exists does not follow from the argument unless the argument is about a sustaining version of contingence. And this isn't argued as in any, any case. Premise four, where it says, if the universe has a reason for its existence, and that reason is God, is one that hasn't been demonstrated. It's merely asserted. But also, we're not clear as to whether this is asserting that the best explanation for the existence of the universe is this thing that they're going to call God. How do they determine that this is a sustaining thing versus a causal thing? For example, there could have been a God who created a universe and ceased to exist, perhaps uh, spewing forth its essence to create the universe and then cease to exist, in which case we would still have a universe that is contingent and a universe where it is contingent upon a God, but that God no longer exists. So there has to be more here, even to get to the final conclusion that they want, which is that God exists. Because the real conclusion from this, even if you were to accept the first four, which we don't, is that a God is the explanation for the origin it is of the universe. The universe is contingent upon a God. It's not necessarily contingent upon a God in a sustaining sense. Okay, lots of points here, Josh. Um, what do you think? I think we could perhaps first start off with a discussion on sustaining and um, causal, because I think we've touched upon that already. So that'll perhaps be the shortest kind of thing to start off with. And I think I think the shortest mm -hmm. thing which we can start off, and I think that his idea of it, the contingency argument relying on the sustaining form of contingency, I don't think is necessary, necessarily very obvious to me, or at least not in the way that it's kind of the contingency argument is reliant on some definition of contingency. That's like, obviously that is the case. Whereas the, the, that contingency is a form of sustaining contingency, not necessarily. I think that a causal contingency is not necessarily contradictory to um, the, the contingency argument. And as a result, I don't necessarily think that his argument about it having to be a sustaining uh, form of contingency is uh, a very good one. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this. So I think um, Matt's kind of saying, like, what if the cosmos has just always existed? Um, doesn't that mean, like, we have to go to sustaining contingency? And it's like, well, maybe if you think the cosmos has always existed, but, like, at least I'm convinced, at least, like, I don't even have to have, like, this, like, knockdown Big Bang cosmology, but, like, just with, like, the nature of, like, limits and, like, how many brute facts we have to pose, like, it seems like there's a lot better um, candidates for necessary explanations than the cosmos. Um, so I think that's probably my worry here. Um, and I mean, he's right. Like you can't go from like, oh, there must be a cause of the universe or cause of the cosmos to God for free. Um, so I agree with that. And, you know, like 
obviously there's other arguments that would be used to try to get from this necessary foundation to God. So, but I mean, yeah, I, I'd have to just study the contingency argument more to see if people are saying that like causal contingency doesn't work with an infinite cosmos. But I mean, I just don't really see any good reason to think the cosmos is necessary in the first place. Um, Cause it seems like it's gonna, you're going to have to pose a lot more at the foundation than you would if you'd say just like God exists or like it's perfection or something like that. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I definitely agree with that. So I, I completely agree with you when you say, well, we can't go from a contingent cosmos to God for free. And that's something I see a lot of people, um, do or commit it's uh it's something which i don't feel very comfortable with i i, I don't necessarily think that the people like craig which he suggests later do because they actually do do that well they do actually solve these problems in other places not necessarily in every single article it's kind of like when we make youtube videos or when we're trying to respond to some of the comment section and they're like oh why haven't you responded to my comment i get that quite a lot on my youtube channel there's this guy who's like pestering me so much he's like Oh, you're just as silent as your God. You do not exist, or like you, you're really not answering. Something along those lines, right? And I'm like looking. I'm like I, I've responded to absolutely everything you're questioning on somewhere else in the channel. You go look at that instead, right? So, so I think that it's very important that we do indeed try to solve the gap problem, but at the same time realize that not every single paper on contingency argument is going to address the gap problem, mainly because those philosophers have addressed the gap problem somewhere else, somewhere in in another paper they've written. Yeah, I mean, I I think I basically on the same page as you. Um, so yeah, I think we can both agree that like, well, it seems like the cosmos isn't necessary, um, so we don't have to really worry about like the sustaining form of contingency arguments. Um, but I mean, like, even if it was like always existed, I'm not. I, I still think you because like there's these limits in the cosmos, which seems to suggest that there must be some further explanation, even if it's just always existed. Um, so I still think. I still think it's possible for there to be causal contingency arguments, um, even if the universe was past infinite, which I mean, I obviously don't think it is. So um, yeah, you ready to keep on trucking through sure. this? Sounds Let's good. It. Or external, that it is contingent upon something. We're in agreement. I just don't know where Craig decides to use, if the universe has an explanation for its existence, the explanation is God. And while I don't want this entire video to be a rebuttal to one thing that William Lane Craig said, the fact of the matter is that when discussing this, instead of arguing and presenting any justification for his second premise that if there's an explanation for the universe, that explanation is God, he instead tries to argue a little differently. He says that if atheism is true, and here he has to be talking about hard atheism or anti-theism, basically the claim that no God exists, um, so on non-theism would probably be a better way to put this, then the universe has no explanation of its existence. And if the universe has an explanation for its existence, then atheism isn't true. Instead of defending why he gets to just assert that there's a God, he goes on to make additional assertions. His, his claim is that if there's not a God, then the universe doesn't have an explanation for its existence. Well, how did you determine that? I mean, you're living in a universe. Um, clearly it's here. Either there's a God or there's not. And if there's not a God, how did you determine that a universe couldn't exist? Even if the universe is contingent, it might be contingent on a multiverse or on something in the cosmos. But Craig's thing is, in order to argue for his premise that the explanation for the universe is God, he just says, if there's not a God, then the universe doesn't have an explanation. And the universe, and if the universe has an explanation, then there must be a God. This is just a, a bald assertion that makes the entire discussion about his second premise circular. Now, we're stuck with this word universe, as we've talked about. There may be equivocation fallacies involved. But is the universe all there is? And as I mentioned before, I'll be using Cosmos, and I'll try to do that in all the videos everywhere when I'm talking about all there is. If you were 
Okay, before we get into this, um, what do you think about this? He brings up like Craig and the gap problem again. Um, do you have any thoughts, Josh, that we haven't I, covered? I think uh, basically I covered most of that in the previous response when I say, well, we have to look at Craig's article in light of all of his other works where he does indeed cover the gap problem. So I don't necessarily think it would be fair to say, oh, Craig doesn't respond to the gap problem in this article because, well, he has covered it in multiple places. And just for reference, if you want to know where he covers the gap problem and it's kind of easily accessible, check out his discussion with Alex O'Connor. He does discuss the gap problem over there. So he does do that on multiple other places. So you, we can just find it over there instead. Yeah, I mean, like, again, like, yeah, the thesis has to do the work to show why the necessary foundation is God. But also thinking about this, like, wouldn't Matt have some burden to show, like, why he, like, he's not claiming the necessary foundation is the cosmos, but he brings this up a lot as kind of like a, a rejoinder to, like, the theist. And it's like, he doesn't give any justification for it. He just says, well, yeah, maybe this is just the way it is. Um, so it seems like to me, like, potentially, like, Matt would have to do that, too. Um, but, you know, I don't want to get into, like, just, like, trying to shift the burden of proof on the other person. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Though I do think you do raise a very interesting point about kind of the counter-hypothesis and what role does counter-hypothesis or what role do counter-hypotheses play in discussions or uh, debates or arguments because essentially it's very easy to say, well, oh, the universe was caused by a brute factor. Oh, make these all of these assertions, all of these other possibilities. But, but at the end of the day, if the probability of that other possibility that you're raising is like 0.0001, yes, it, it might be a possibility, but is that a very good counter-argument? It's not a very good counter-argument. So I think that it's very important for people if they want to provide an opposite solution that they provide reasons for it. Just just like if someone were to provide perhaps another hypothesis for why we think that God rose from the dead, they would have to provide reason for that hypothesis. They can't just say, well, maybe the, the disciples had a hallucination, then, well, problem solved. They have to provide a reason for that as well. I think it, it's unfair for the, the atheists to just get away without any burden of proof to just throw out possibilities all around the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Um, let's see this next clip raised and born on an island, you might think that the entire world was your island. And so you might have a, a, a word that you would use, the world. And then at some point when you figured out that there were other continents and other islands and other lands for you to explore, your definition of what the world is would expand. This is kind of what's happened with the universe. As we've explored more, we've discovered that we're probably best off, it would be ideal based on the actual uh, transliteration of universe or its origins, the, if we used it to describe everything and instead used a, a condensed label like our local universe or our real space time, uh, but we don't. And that's why we draw a distinction between the universe and the cosmos. Now, contingency arguments merely assert that the explanation for the universe must be a being and a necessary non-contingent one. They don't ever demonstrate this in any way, nor do they demonstrate that this being explanation must be one in which this being still exists, the difference between a causal contingency and a sustaining contingency. Why is that? I mean, after all, they believe in a God that exists. I mean, these arguments aren't just coming from uh, deistic notions, even though they are all consistent with uh, a deistic notion of a God. These are quite often um, fundamentalist Christians, evangelical Christians, moderate Christians, uh, seminarians, apologists, all who believe in Jesus. These are also arguments coming from Muslims to argue for their God. How is it that these different religions can use the same argument for the existence of God and yet believe in different gods. Now, this isn't an argument in any way to show that they're wrong. Uh, if there was in fact a God, arguments for the existence of God would apply to all the religions that would point to a similar God. 
this is an expression of the concern that I have that people aren't defending the God they believe in. And when they instead offer arguments like this, like the argument from contingency, the Glam cosmological argument, things like this, not only are they not arguing for the God that they actually believe in, but the argument that they're presenting doesn't get us to a God exists. The conclusion of the Kalam cosmological argument, for example, is not therefore God exists, it is therefore the universe has a cause. And the conclusion of the versions of the argument from contingency, while they might be God exists, we can see that there's a disconnect between there is some non-contingent thing that it serves as an ultimate foundation. And this idea that the non-contingent thing that serves as an ultimate foundation is a thinking being that they're going to call God, and then they're going to extrapolate from that down to the particular God they believe in in the religious doctrine. What okay, uh, lots of points here. Um, what do you what do you ask, Josh? Well, I essentially think that what Matt is doing here is shifting the goalposts with the argument or his critique, because because what essentially is saying, and I think if I'm uh, categorizing correctly, is just saying, well. This cosmological argument or this contingency argument isn't pointing towards a specific Christian god or this specific Muslim god. Well, well, that's never been the point of the contingency argument in the first place. The contingency argument is there is only to prove the existence of a god, not to prove the existence of a specific god. I don't think in the history of of philosophy itself has anyone said, "Oh, this proves Jesus Christ," or has proved Islam, or proved Allah, or something like that. Right? I don't necessarily think that anyone's ever said that of course Aquinas does say that this thing is that which we most resemble God but even then he doesn't necessarily point it directly to the Christian God and if they do I do think they are mistaken so I think that by asking for these arguments to um to point directly to the Christian God would just be shifting the goalposts and demanding of them something that they never even tried to argue for in the first place which I think is just not necessarily something which is a very good way to approach these arguments in general Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I generally agree with you. I do think it's helpful, though, um, to think about, like, the purpose of arguments. Because I think sometimes people do use these arguments as weapons. Like, you know, like a Christian will use the Kalam and just, like, try to hammer it on the atheist and be like, see, you believe the universe comes from nothing, da, 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 which is, like, uh, it's kind of rough on the, It's just, it's kind of unfair. Um, but, like, like, arguments shouldn't necessarily be, like, weapons where we try to, like, prove our worldviews, but really, like, tools for discovery. So at least, like, when I think about the contingency argument, like, I'm thinking about, like, well, yeah, it makes sense that there has to be something like that's a fa the foundation. Um, and well, what's the foundation? Well, I'm going to think that the most likely foundation, like the candidate, is like a mind. It's perfect, like a, a god. Um, so I think of it more as a tool to just try to like understand the world rather than like weapon where I'm just out to try to prove God exists. Um, so I think there's that. And then obviously, like you know, like we're going to interpret in our worldviews. Like no atheist is going to accept the conclusion God exists, or they wouldn't be an atheist. Um, and the same reason, like, atheist isn't going to accept an argument with the conclusion that God doesn't exist or they'd be an atheist. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's it's important to think about the nature of arguments. I think your point on the nature of arguments is just fascinating. It's like, well, what exactly is the purpose of arguments? And you're like, well, it's to discover, it's to move towards something new. And I think that's just so beautiful. It's kind of how we have, and this is seen in Joe Schmidt's channel, like, there's like stage one and stage two cos uh, cosmological or contingency arguments. We first argue towards a necessary foundation and then we argue for well what exactly is this necessary foundation because mm -hmm. like in the past a lot of the arguments against kind of contingency arguments was to argue that there there cannot be a necessary foundation russell is trying to say well that's a brute fact it's not a god or a uh, human son i say well there is no necessary foundation because it just goes back ad infinitum but then now we have more uh, atheist philosophers who, who have gone further gone from just denying contingency arguments as a whole to just denying stage two of the argument and accepting stage one. So I think this idea of 
everyone trying to explore the same kind of world or understanding more about the truth is just uh, so fascinating. And finally, a thing that I perhaps would like to say about what he what he discussed about, I think it was the 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 sustaining cause of the universe. I don't necessarily think that that is something which is necessarily, or as we've said before, has to be held. He said something like the sustaining cause of the universe or the contingency argument is based on the sustaining cause and that sustaining cause is important for people's belief in God. I don't necessarily mm -hmm. think that's the case. In fact, I think that the, the cause of the contingency argument is to point towards a being which, which would entail the falsity of atheism. It would be a really weird form of atheism to believe that there was a God which just stopped causing the universe like five days ago or even five million years ago. I mean, I don't necessarily, I would not necessarily classify them as an atheist. As a result, I don't necessarily think that this kind of, even if you do just accept that there is a necessary cause or a causal contingency, that doesn't necessarily mean that there is now no God at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I agree with you a lot. I do think it's important to like, like remember the tools idea I brought up. Um, Cause like, like obviously like I'm a Christian and I'm like a Christian apologist. Like it doesn't mean that I think all arguments for God are good. And it doesn't mean I think that like all arguments for atheism are bad. Um, like I just did a video, like why am I Christian? Just talking about like my own thoughts on like the different kinds of arguments and whatnot. Um, so yeah. Uh, anything else, Josh, or do you want no, to we can move on. on? Let's do it back to the gap problem. What if our local universe began to exist and has a cause for its existence has a reason an explanation for its existence that isn't actually an agent, a thinking being, what if it is a natural explanation, and natural in the sense of it is a part of the cosmos, but not necessarily uh, a thinking agent putting forth some sort of creative effort? The truth is, we don't know why there's something instead of nothing. Uh, there are a number of people who would tell you that it's because nothing is intrinsically unstable, and therefore something is going to emerge from nothing. But we don't have an understanding of a mechanism. And since we can't explore beyond the origins of our universe, we can only hypothesize. And if that's the case, how do we determine that the foundational, essential explanation uh, for our universe is that it is a contingent entity that is derived from a thinking agent? I see absolutely no justification for this, definitely not within the arguments. And this is one of the things that needs to start happening. If you're going to present an argument, when you offer up your premises, you need to offer reasons for those premises. You may have to add additional arguments to it, and that doesn't always happen. This shorthand version of the argument from contingency, both of the versions we've looked at today, have this bald assertion in there. If the universe has a reason for its existence, then that reason is God. Now, I know, because I've studied this, that they think they have reasons for it. They, they will say, oh, well, it has to be something that's non-contingent, that you know, serves as the origin of our universe. And it has to have these particular qualities. It has to be capable of creating a universe. It has to be capable of causing a universe to exist. And it goes on and on and on. And it's a, then their conclusion is that uh, the God hypothesis is the only thing that we know of that fits those criteria. The problem here is the God hypothesis is not something we know of. And these arguments are relying on a long history of mankind inventing deities, inventing ideas that are sufficient to explain what the unknown, but they aren't necessarily necessary to explain the unknown. So if you live in a culture that has been taught from birth that, yep, there's a God. If you live in a culture where even individuals who weren't raised to believe in a God are still familiar with this concept of a, an all-powerful divine being that is not bound by space and time, that exists eternally, then it will seem reasonable to say that, ah, given the, the unknown origin of the universe, given the unknown causal foundation for the universe upon which our universe is contingent, the only entity that we're aware of that could possibly do this is a God.
It had to be thinking. It had to be intentional. It couldn't just be an accident. All of these things are preying upon our intuitions. We don't want the existence of everything to have been an accident. Um, and by the way, the way the universe progresses from its beginning to where I am now sitting in my backyard on a swing um, is not just a series of accidents. There is order in the universe. There are physical laws that must be obeyed. And this is why there's so much confusion about the process of evolution by natural selection. People want to just say, oh, you just think it was all an accident that did it. No, it may have been an accident that perhaps started the fire, but it's not an accident that the fire then followed the path of burnt grass, of dry grass and uh, stayed away from the water um, because water doesn't, or fire doesn't actually consume water like that. Okay, lots of interesting stuff here, Josh. Um, you want to start us off? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was almost going to start banging my head on the table when he said, again, that those scholars don't seem to support any form of solving the gap problem, because they definitely do. So, But we've mm -hmm. already discussed that. So I think, I think just something as a commentary note, his idea of intuitions is very similar to kind of our understanding of a custom or Hume's using of a custom. It's kind of like, well, we have these intuitions of a certain concept, but... But while we don't exactly have direct evidence of said concept, we just seem to kind of gotten it or gotten this kind of concept of um, of God as kind of this as this kind of traditional thing or this cultural thing which was passed down the generations. But I really think that this raises a very interesting question. Well, where exactly did we get the concept of God from? Because in the past, a lot of people like to say, well, we just got it by timesing man by infinity. But I don't necessarily think that that's even possible. Like, imagine a human, right? And then you times them by infinity. Do you necessarily get God? I mean, the first question you have to ask is, well, how exactly are you timesing man by infinity? Which action, which order of infinity are you timesing man by? It's not necessarily clear. And of course, this is more of the Feuerbachian or the Humean kind of approach to how man created the concept of God. But it's not necessarily clear that man can create God ex nihilo. And it seems more probable, at least to me that our concept of God actually points to a God. And I'm not going to develop this argument much further here because that's not the point of the video. But it's just something to think about. Where on mm -hmm. earth do we get this concept of God from? It doesn't seem explicitly obvious that man could or that they did indeed create it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. And you could just run like a Bayesian argument where it's like um, the probability of believing God exists is more likely if God exists than if God doesn't exist. So the, the belief that God exists would be some evidence in favor of the existence of God. Um, he, he brings some interesting points like i don't know i was just like writing some notes he's like um like the, the idea of like the foundation like something i don't know if he like he brings up this supernatural natural thing a little bit here and it's like i don't really know what that means like to me that's kind of like it's it's just weird because everyone defines that differently um but i mean like i'm just thinking about like what do matt and i agree on so we agree like it seems like we agree that there's some sort of like foundation like he's gonna say maybe it's the cosmos i'm gonna say it's like god um it seems like we both accept the psr um I'm sure we both accept minds exist. Obviously, I believe Matt's a physicalist. Um, so he's going to say consciousness reduces to brain states, and I'm going to obviously deny that. And we both believe that, like, matter exists. So, like, there is some sort of common agreement. And we what we disagree on is really just, like, what the foundation is. I'm going to say the foundation's a mind um, in one sense, in kind of like ours, in the sense that the God is also conscious, but, like, obviously God's going to be radically different, um, like a perfect mind. And Matt's going to say, well, it's probably not that. It's probably something... Um, probably something material. So it seems like that's like our big disagreement. Um, so we're, I think we're a lot closer than we think we are. Um, so the really the question that at least in my mind is like, what's more likely is like, is it the personal coming from the impersonal or the impersonal coming from the personal? Um, so it's just interesting. I don't know. It's just, I feel like, yeah, I don't want to say anything else. Um, I think, yeah. I think the gap problem, the idea or the kind of the, 
the personal and the impersonal is just something very interesting. And that's something which William Lane Craig touched upon, actually, in his discussion with Alex O'Connor. Something goes along this lines is that imagine there's nothing, right? And then he, of course, Matt said, like, well, some people view nothing as something which is intrinsically unstable. Then, of course, mm -hmm. that raises the problem. How on earth did you attribute a property to nothingness? You normally <laughs> have a you normally have a property or a predicate attached to a subject, and that subject is nothing. Then how on earth did you get a predicate to attach to it? But leaving that aside, you're kind of this idea of, well, you have nothing. And assuming you had this eternity of nothingness or at least physical nothingness, what exactly made a, a, a state of physical nothingness go to something? Because if it was a physical property, which was, or it was a natural or, or something which was not a, with free will or something which is not personal, then well, there doesn't seem to be anything which could possibly make that thing arbitrarily suddenly lead to cause an action or actualize the universe because everything we see in reality or everything we see which could cause something normally are able to cause it due to an intrinsic possibility or intrinsic kind of nature to it but then first of all you have nothingness so you don't seem to have any functions to create universes from it but number two what what seems to be the case is is well why didn't that do it any time before or any time after because well what exactly prompted this non-personal non-natural thing to be be able to cause the universe in the first place the fact that it could cause the universe in the first place seems to suggest that it was indeed a personal agent with free will. And that's just something to uh, perhaps think about a bit here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's just, it's interesting to think about it. Cause like, I think a lot of times like, like theists and atheists have a lot more in common than we think. Um, like, and I think about like, this man video, like we agree there's a foundation and like, obviously I'm going to think it's a mine. He's going to think it's probably something material. Um, but there's a lot more agreement than we, at least we appear. Um, do you anything else you want to add before we get into this next clip? Oh, just, just to say a quick thing, when I'm using this timey language, I'm, I'm using it mainly just for the sake of simplicity. No, I'm not thinking too much about how, kind of exactly how to phrase it. My brain's kind of dead, dead by now to kind of exactly say, oh, this was uh, this, this state, like, I don't know how you would be even going to raise it, but it's just, I'm, I'm using these kind of time phrases just as kind of a, kind of an easy way to kind of just conceptualize it a bit. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. What if the cosmos is actually necessary? What if the cosmos is necessary and serves as the foundation, perhaps a scenario like the multiverse, where there's no intelligent being that is, oh, let me make a universe. Here we go. I am now made a universe. That universe is contingent upon me. What if instead there's a cosmos that we can't explore and we can't understand that has mechanisms in it that causes universes to arise? Now, I have no way of demonstrating that this is in fact the case, but the possibility that this is the case, or the fact that nobody's demonstrated that it's not the case, shows us that they cannot assert that the best explanation for the universe is contingent is a god because they cannot show which of the two possibilities we have a necessary cosmos that has the necessary capability of producing universes or a god that has the necessary characteristics to produce universe they have no way to demonstrate which of those two is in fact more likely so the argument from contingency is one version of a cosmological argument. There are a variety of different versions of the argument from contingency. And at least all of the ones that I've seen have within them this bald, unsupported assertion that the foundational thing upon which the universe is contingent is a god. They don't tell us anything about the characteristics of this god within the arguments. They'll try and do that outside of it. Ah, uh, this god is eternal and powerful, et cetera, et cetera. And as I mentioned, it relies on our intuitions living in a culture where a lot of people believe in a God, people talk about a God. Um, what happens is when you present something like this and you say, okay, if our universe is contingent, if it's not necessary, if it could have been the case that our universe did, didn't come into existence, 
which we're not sure if that's the case or not, is it, what is the best explanation for this? And in cultures... Okay, so before we get into the, like, the cultural shifts and whatnot, um, what do you think about this little bit, Josh? I think, I mean, I, I think my, we agree on quite a lot here, but it's just kind of the idea that I think the idea of him saying, well, the God hypothesis as the necessary being or the necessary foundation is quite similar as the cosmos as necessary foundation without even giving any arguments for why the cosmos is kind of a 50-50. Of course, he says it's a 50-50 because, of course, uh, in the argument that he presented, there was no kind of linking premise or any argument from limits here to kind of solve the gap problem. But assume there is absolutely no arguments for this kind of to solve the gap problem. But he still says that there's kind of this 50-50 understanding between uh, a necessary cause of the universe being God or the necessary cause of the universe being a cosmos. Then, well, then surely it does seem to, the, to uh, lead to a belief or um, understanding that, well, the, the, the reasonableness, if I'm not even sure that's a word by now, but the reasonableness of believing in a cosmos is as a necessary foundation would be the same as the reasonableness of believing in God as a foundation. And if that's the case, and Matt believes that it is reasonable to believe that the cosmos is um, the cause of the universe, and it, it follows that, at least from a probabilistic standard, it is just as reasonable to believe that God is the foundation of the universe. And that's just something to um, just bear in mind. The consequences of his argument for the cosmos would just show that the God, people believe in God, while not might not be true, would not nevertheless be reasonable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, like, again, because I think about this idea of, like, well, we both agree there's a foundation, and the question is, like, can we build a bridge from there being a foundation to it being God, or why not say it's the cosmos? And I'm just, like, comparing the two hypotheses here, so, like, if we have the cosmos, well, this is probably something material, like, Matt's not a panpsychist, so he's not going to say it's, like, material and mind, it's just probably just material. I'm a theist, I'm going to say the foundation is God. Um, Matt's going to say probably there's some limits. I mean, I guess if it's infinite, maybe you could say, well, just, like, everything exists. But it just seems really weird and counterintuitive to say everything exists. So there's got to be some limit there. Whereas the theist probably isn't going to have this limit. Like we can explain, um, there's no unexplained limits is basically what I'm trying to say. So it seems like the theist would have the advantage from a simplicity perspective because they're both posing one thing and then I have no limits. He has limits. And then we're not even getting into like explanatory power and like what best predicts the world and things like that. So yeah, I don't know. This this part, like this last, like this last ten minutes, was kind of weird to me. Like I wasn't exactly sure um, what's going on. That's kind of my take on this section. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with that. I think that's a very interesting kind of way to put on it. And I definitely agree with you that there's way more agreement in these arguments or in these discussions than normally meets the eyes. Because I think we all just so used to hearing this kind of landscape where it's the atheist on one side the atheist camp versus the christian camp when actually when it comes down to the actual discussions and arguments between the representations of both sides the representatives there's actually a lot of agreement it's just over the small details where we're just trying to build bridges beyond our common agreements to further conclusions or arguments mm -hmm. yeah that's good stuff let's get into this next clip i will pull it up right now where people have been positing a god the vast majority of people are likely to say, well, oh yeah, of course, it must be a god. Uh, I can't think of anything else. What else What else could it be? These are essentially arguments from ignorance or arguments from incredulity um, that we've really got no better idea than this god thing. The problem is, is that the god thing isn't necessarily a good idea. It's not anything we can demonstrate. We don't have any way to calculate the probability of a god, and we don't even have a way to calculate its likelihood in comparison to alternate hypotheses, things like a multiverse, things like a, a cosmos that was necessary. 
um, when we talk about the argument from contingency, when people want to claim that the universe is contingent, they may in fact be committing the fallacy of composition because the reasons for assuming that the universe is contingent is to say that, look, I look around in the universe and every single thing I look at is contingent. And they're taking the property of the constituent components of a universe and then saying that the universe must then also have that property. And that is almost a textbook fallacy of, of composition. Now the universe may or may not be contingent and the cosmos may in fact be contingent or it may be necessary. We don't know, we can't get to that point. But as soon as we get comfortable. Okay, um, interesting stuff here, fallacy composition, um, fun stuff to talk about. What are your thoughts, Josh? If I banged my head every single time he says demonstration, I'd probably get a <laughs> concussion by now. But yeah. I mean, I think that essentially, it really depends on how you're arguing for the universe being contingent. Because I do think there are definitely people who have argued uh, fallaciously for um, the, the contingency of the universe. but. But if we look at um, more kind of precise and more specific arguments, either like the argument from limits, for example, or the arguments about the physical uh, physical properties, or even just causal change, instead of looking at the universe as a whole, as how I kind of approach a Kalam, we see that there is actually no composition at all. If we view just a single causal chain going back towards a necessary cause, we would be able to find um, there is absolutely no um, composition there at all. Or if we just view it as, well, maybe the reason for something being contingency is not because of its parts, but because of one of its properties, which gives something or makes something contingent. For example, if something is limited, it is contingent. Or maybe if something is physical, it is contingent. That is not an argument from contingency. That's just saying, well, look at a certain property which brings across the essence or the nature of contingency. So I don't necessarily think that all of these kind of views have to be uh, subject to the fallacy of composition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Matt might be saying something like, well, yeah, you know, like there's contingent things like you and me, Josh, in this universe that seem to come from uh, not existing to existing, but then we have like conservation of energy where like, you know, like the amount of energy stays the same. Um, so maybe it's matter of energy and it's just like the things inside, like the matter of energy is just changing forms. Um, but then I go back to that cannonball analogy or let's say that the whole cannonball is flying. There's this like matter and energy has always existed. It's just changing forms. It's like, well, what explains matter and energy existing? Like what, what explains the flight of the cannonball? Um, Bruce has a good analogy um, where he says, um, if it should be ever made sense to say that Bob is at the party because Jenny is at the party, um, it's if Bob is at the party because Jenny is, and that Jenny is at the party because Bob is, that wouldn't explain why it is that Bob and Jenny are at the party. A further explanation is called for um, in terms of the party being honor of George's birthday or George being a friend of Bob. And if contrary to the PSR, it is lacking, Bob and Jenny at the party are unexplained. So like with this alleged problem with like the fallacy composition, we have this problem of like, sure, maybe there's things changing inside the universe, but it's like, well, why is there this energy, energy here in the first place? It just gets back to the idea of the cosmos being a necessary being. Um, so it doesn't really, it doesn't really like, it's just then we're back to like comparing like what's the most likely, likely candidate for the foundation. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. Definitely agree with you there. It is very interesting. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. I'm sorry, everyone. I should have slept more last night, but here we are. And I, I hope this has been very edifying to you. We have a few more minutes left. Um, but yeah, here we go. Let's keep going. Comfortable with this idea that a god is the best explanation for it. What happens next is something we see within uh, syncretic compositions of religion and religions as they grow and, and change throughout time. And that is we get away from the Bible, the Quran, the doctrinal orthodox versions, but we're desperate to cling on to the idea, the notion of a God, because it keeps us from feeling too ignorant. And so people will actually redefine God and say, God is that thing which explains the origin of the universe. They've told us nothing. They've given us no clear 
description of the attributes or characterizations that you would find in a god, except to say that here's a big mystery. We don't know how this came about, but whatever the properties are that explain that mystery, those are the properties that we're going to label God. That's not a proof for the existence of God. It's not an argument for the existence of God. It's a proof that we're prone to assumptions. It's a proof that we are terrified of not knowing, we're terrified of our ignorance, that in the reality that we inhabit, whether it is contingent or not, we are limited, not just by our current intellect and current levels of knowledge, but perhaps limited permanently from finding the answers to some of the biggest questions. We may be able to find them, we may not. Why is there something instead of nothing? What we're really talking about is existence. Why does existence exist? And it would seem to me that if there was an example of anything that would be considered necessary and non-contingent, it would be existence. That existence exists necessarily. And I think that there's a good argument to be made that the cosmos is at least partially synonymous with existence. It is the fabric, in a metaphoric sense, that undergirds our universe, other potential universes, multiverses, things that we're not even completely aware of, and to say, why is there something rather than nothing when we're talking about something like existence is to misunderstand the question itself. It's just not very comforting to people to say it exists because it exists. And instead of recognizing this discomfort and acknowledging that at least for now, it may be the best, most accurate explanation that we may be currently blocked. Instead, some people have taken it in stride and created an argument that asserts that no, 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 existence doesn't just exist. It has another foundation. It has a foundation in a God. It has taken our discomfort with the idea that we might have to acknowledge we can't have an explanation for this or this. It doesn't need an explanation. And it's painted this warm, fuzzy, man in the sky cares about us, God type of model, which by the way, we don't seem to be able to confirm or know anything about. And the argument is that this being exists necessarily, that it needs no explanation for its existence. Okay, lots of lots of things here, Josh. Do you have anything you want to add? Oh, I'm so sorry. I did not realize I didn't pull that up on the screen. So I apologize to you guys, Matt. And I apologize to you, Matt. You're beautiful. Um, for some reason, that got missed. But yeah. I, I think Matt's voice could be one of those voices that you hear in an audiobook. You know, those mindfulness sessions just have <laughs> Matt's voice. I think it's very soothing. It's very, very soothing. But I mean, apart from the voice being very soothing in that session, I think that... Um, that's not really how people use cosmological arguments or arguments <laughs> for the existence of God. I mean, people don't use these arguments to just say makes me feel good because, I mean, I don't necessarily think that Christian being a Christian makes life way easier than not being a Christian in an epistemological sense or um, in, a, in a, just a practical living sense. Maybe it does in a philosophical sense. I do agree with that. I think Christianity provides the most, the best explanatory worldview and in all the kind of like the ways philosophy works. Though, Though in the most practical way of like, well, how then shall we live? I don't necessarily think that Christianity makes things way easier than the non-Christian. In fact, I think that sometimes it makes it harder. So I don't think that a Matt's idea that we're creating arguments to, to just make ourselves feel more comfortable is a very good argument, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, the, what I'd add is just like, like the terms Matt uses is very vague. Like I wrote this down in my notes. I'm like, existence exists necessarily. Like, what does that even mean? Like, the classical theist is literally just going to say like God's essence is existence. So like, yes, Matt, you're right. God exists. So like, it's like, that doesn't mean that. And like the cosmos is, wait, what was it? The, it's just the cosmos is or something like that. And it's like, 
well, could I just say the foundation is as it is? Like that doesn't put any like words, to, like he's not, he doesn't describe like what he means by cosmos. Like maybe he means like all of like matter energy or space time or something, or like this multiverse, but like the way Matt's described it, it's very vague. And I can say all of this, like, like, yeah, Matt, you're, I agree with you. It's God, right? Like he, he's not, he isn't putting any like qual, qualifying terms in like what he means. It's just very vague. Um, so it, it's not helpful. I definitely agree with you. It is a very, very vague argument. It, it kind of reminds me of those existentialist aphorisms of Nietzsche or those, uh, those, uh, those discussions of Hegel or Heidegger who just kind of talk about all these crazy terms and they're like, oh, this is an ontico ontology of X and Y and Z or being in time. And you're like, you're reading it and you're like, well, this, you're really going to have to spend your entire life just trying to understand one sentence because it's very vague. So, I mean, that kind of reminds me of that, kind of puts that picture into my mind, but I, I think he is kind of moving away from this is the philosophical response to the contingency argument to more the existential psycho psychoanalysis of the usage of contingency arguments, which I think is an interesting thing to look at. But I think it perhaps mm -hmm. goes beyond the, the scope of what a good philosophical kind of discussion or at least a purely philosophical discussion based on the contingency argument is meant to be about these things kind of go beyond it and not really addressing the actual yeah. argument itself. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of psychoanalyzing going on, but um, here we go. We're on our last clip. Um, so let's pull this up and let's get into the final bit Matt has to say. There were a number of different first cause arguments and discussions about absolute infinities and uh, actual infinities versus uh, non-actual infinities that take place in the first cause arguments. We'll get into temporal issues and things like that. And I remember a discussion where someone said, well, the universe must have had a cause. And of course, the question after they assert that God must, you know, was, was the cause is, well, wh what's the cause of God? What's the explanation for God? And, well, God doesn't need an explanation. And there were many people who pointed out that instead of just talking about the universe that began 14 and a half billion years ago, uh, or 13.7 billion years ago, instead of saying, oh, it definitely needs an explanation, but the thing that explains it doesn't need an explanation, why don't we stop at the limits of our knowledge and say, for now, because we are barred from exploring beyond the beginning. And even when we talk about before the beginning, that may be a nonsensical term. Why don't we just acknowledge that we don't have an explanation for the existence of existence and that it may in fact not need an explanation. And that if someone ever finds an explanation, we can consider that then. But the cosmological arguments, the versions that we've seen, and especially the argument from contingency, don't demonstrate that God exists. They just merely assert without justification that there must be some non-contingent thing upon which a universe is, sits on, on this foundation. And that thing is God. And that God is necessary and does not need an explanation. I don't know how that solves a problem at all, but I think it tells us a lot about who we are, what we're afraid of, and how we're willing to just go with assumptions that are comforting, whether or not they're actually true. Okay, the last bit here, Josh, um, what do you think? I don't have much to say about it, though I do think that if I really did treat listening to this as my mindfulness session at school, I'll probably have gotten enlightened by now. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's more of the same, which isn't a bad thing. It's just like, we've kind of, like, this is a long video and Matt did a good job covering a lot of things. So we've responded to most of this. I would just say like, I quote, I just wrote down on my notes, like finds an explanation. Like, so I'm going to say like, as a theist, like, I'm going to say like, like God is a, God is perfect. Um, and it's part of perfection. Like God has a mind and like we have minds. So in a sense, like we know what consciousness is. Um, and if God is conscious, like in some sense, we know what God would be like to a very limited degree. Like there's this very big distinction between like, 
who God is and like who we are. Um, so I don't know. I just, it's just very vague. Like it's just, he throws around these very vague terms where I just don't really understand um, what they mean, but yeah, I mean, we made it through. Um, so do you have anything else you want to say, Josh, before we wrap up here? Not really. I think we've covered most of the arguments. I mean, most of this stuff are just repetitions or basically a summary of what we've discussed before. We've, we've gone through an impressive amount of um, content today. So, I mean, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure, like always discussing these things with you. Yeah, I know. It's been so much fun. I love doing these responses with you, and I'm sure we'll be at it again at some point in the future. Um, so thank you to everyone who joined us. Slam RN, the Fritz Thinker, um, Instituto de Estudios Superiores Biblicos. I hope that my Spanish sounded okay there. Um, Oscar, everyone else. Um, yeah, I wish you guys the best. And a big thank you to all of our patrons who make this possible. Really appreciate all you guys. It means a lot. And you can support the channel at patreon.com. Um, be sure to subscribe, like all that fun stuff. And Josh, apologetics for all. Thank you again for coming on, man. It's been a lot of fun. Always a pleasure, mate. Looking forward to, uh, to the next one. Yes, sir. Well, if you guys enjoyed these videos, there's a playlist down below, responses to skeptics, where we have all kinds of response videos to all kinds of things and plenty coming. So hope you guys enjoyed and you found this edifying, you found something useful. Um, and yeah, wish you guys the best. God bless. God bless.